Welcome to Innisfil Accelerates, a podcast about the people and technology transforming one Ontario town. Today, we're talking about the future. For as long as there have been movies, there have been movies about the future. And that future is almost always a bad one. One of the first science fiction films ever made, Metropolis, pictured a future where workers toiled in vast underground factories all to serve a pampered elite living in enormous skyscrapers. That same image has been recycled again and again. The picture of a dystopian future city where technology is controlled by a few to dominate the rest. What's ironic is that some of those films have inspired attempts to recreate something that was intended as a warning. The cities of the future are being planned and built right now, and that has many people worried. In China, citizens are given social credit points to ensure good behavior. Things like community service and donating to charities will win you points, while playing loud music or jaywalking will cost you. Lose too many points and you'll be added to a national blacklist and that will prevent you from getting jobs, going to school, or even buying airline tickets. That system is being enabled by China's enormous mass surveillance system, which almost entirely depends on information technology to function. So you can understand why people start to get a little nervous when politicians in Canada start to float their own plans for a connected, smart city. In 2017, the City of Toronto partnered with Google to redevelop a piece of industrial waterfront into a smart neighborhood. The plan was to create a place where technology was used to create a more sustainable and economically diverse neighborhood. But the pushback from the public was immediate and fierce. By 2020, the project was dead after concerns were raised about Google controlling large amounts of residents' personal information. In Innisfil, they're trying something different. They're pursuing a project called The Orbit. The idea is to create a new neighborhood centered around a GO station that would connect directly to downtown Toronto. They're working with a local developer to create housing and commercial spaces that encourage walking over cars. But the town is getting as much input from residents as possible and they've been reaching out to some of the people who have been thinking a lot about what a smart city could be. Over the next few episodes, we'll meet some of those people. But there's a benefit to share information. That's why the citizens is the key component. That was Francois Bedard. He's the founder of Plan B Development Inc. They work with companies and governments to create a roadmap to the future city. I spoke with him recently and started by asking him a deceptively simple question. What is a smart city? This is a fundamental question because from different angles, there's so many, so many answers. Every smart cities initiative, and we're seeing now even more smart municipalities, involve digital services for the citizens. And sadly, they are using the expressions smart cities for economic development and trying to bring technology providers. 
But at the end, people forgot there's a citizens that will play into a specific regions because connectivity is an issue. Still in Canada, we still have black hole in terms of connectivity, but people don't understand the value of bringing the citizens part of these discussions. And the notion also of a, a sense of place from a metaphor perspective, because a sense of place means what? What kind of story, connectivity, and also security we can build around a destination for the people that lives in it, depending on your demography, or basically uh, all the suppliers that needs to go in, say, like connectivity and also the utilities from an energy perspective. But back to your questions, what a smart city should be about and what are the images is, it's a citizen platforms fundamentally. What are the potential benefits of a smart city? There's many, many, many benefits. Uh, first of all, efficiencies, for sure. Sadly, we're living in a, a specific um, situation with the pandemic and everything with COVID. Digital becomes like the Trojan horse of efficiencies because we're working from home, but actually the notions of working, transport, and digital makes also cities a better place to live in, you know? So the fundamental at the end of the day is how can we redefine those social interactions with people still having his notions of being connected because maybe from a health perspective and from the authorities also could be provincial, federal, and also municipal is from a health perspective, can we protect our citizens and basically have better platforms to communicate with them? So there's many, many, many angles. You mentioned deficiencies. And when you think about how much of our infrastructure, our governmental structures are these legacy systems, these pre-internet legacy systems that are inefficient, they're bureaucratic, they don't necessarily react that well to citizens' demands. Um, are you thinking that we should be able to access things like social services or our utilities more efficiently through a better connected city, a smart city? What, what are you thinking here? Those examples, including like snow removal and how can we be more efficient to waste management. Do we need to have our garbage out or our compost uh, on Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday? Because usually when we're planning those services, there's gonna be a truck driving in front of your house. This is the time to pick up trashes. But to be more efficient meanings that from a financial perspective, but also from a process perspective, how can we be more efficient? So if some, Government initiative is saying, okay, we have a big issue about waste management. How can I reduce the waste at home so I don't contaminate those land filled with something because a truck is supposed to pass, pass by? That's one example. The other example, snow removal. What is critical to remove the snow and do we have the proper equipment? And actually, from a city perspective, do we have the proper providers to remove the snow, you know? Are they only applying salt and, and the plow, that's it, and they remove and actually they will cover the, uh, the fire hose on the street with snow and because from a fire perspective, where's the hose? When you're gonna, so efficiencies. And cities also understand more and more, and this is very fascinating as a format, a 3D digital twin of a city, it's like the digital form of what needs to be done, what needs to be managed into specific criteria. And to see in 3D also is a way to evaluate all those contracts that goes with how do we manage a city, but also for real estate promoters, where I should be and where I should not be. 
as you know, maybe in Quebec, we had some big issue about uh, the water level uh, two years ago. How do we manage water levels? And what is the proper way to install a building or a house near the water line? Are they too much water or something? So, and at the end, smart cities are very aligned with, um, and also today, technology is not, will never be an issue, I can tell you. 5G will exist, connectivity will exist, visual light communication will exist, VLC. There's many, many, many protocols. And also smart home will exist and smart building will exist. But the purpose is, what do we do to have a purpose to engage the citizens and the stakeholders to be efficient altogether? Because this is a data play, fundamentally. How can you manage uh, stuff and, and projects without the proper information? But there's a benefit to share information. That's why the citizens is the key component to have the both those best environment to basically engage all the stakeholder into a sense of place. I love this expression because I know that Innisville is very around, around this concept of sense of place, which is aligned with identity and storytelling and and basically infrastructure, you know? Yeah, I'd like to come back more to that point about citizenship in a moment, but just to focus on something you just said there about how technology is coming, whether we like it or not, that there's this sort of inexorable move towards these next generation technologies. And if we don't make plans to incorporate them or at least deal with them in our cities, they're going to happen anyway in a more uncontrolled manner. So is your point that we just have to prepare for this right now? And uh, what I'm seeing also to stakeholders is let's figure it out will be the plea in 50 years, you know? Because actually, I think from a crystal ball, there's so much research happening. I understand that city is managing short-term initiative and also real estate promoters are shorting, are evaluating a short-term initiative. But the funny thing is, I am 52, I have three kids, 24, 21, and 15. We have those devices been connected at home, but how from a demographic perspective, my kids in living into a digital environment and connected things. Don't forget also voice print. We have a Google Home Nest into the kitchen. It's very interesting as an interactive experience to be part of this. And if we have this debate about what is a smart city, funny thing is technology will evolve. The economy will, will change or something. Climate change will happen anyway. But for sure, we will have people living into a destination or, or a place which is citizens and human being, and they have needs to specific demographics. So when prior to building something, technology will happen. Autonomous vehicle, it will happen anyway. Electric cars will happen anyway. So what is the end goal in 2025, 2030? And maybe let's figure out something in 50 years, you know? Because the lake won't change, the land won't change, the tools will evolve, you know? One of the larger attempts at this was the Sidewalk Labs project in Toronto, which was backed by Google. And there was a lot of pushback from the public there. And I think one of the big problems with that project was just poor communication with residents. And that in turn inspired a lot of fear. This Sidewalk Labs project in Toronto was very, very interesting. Even from a citizen perspective, because don't forget, this project was triggered by the Waterfront Real Estate Project. It was basically promoters the waterfront is saying, okay, we understand that smart cities is coming, smart streets is are coming, smart building is coming, blah, 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 blah. Let's do a deal with the private sectors to bring all those tools. Good news. 
sidewalk was already been deployed in New York with interactive kiosk where fiber optics was in the back of those kiosks. And for a security perspective in New York, those interactive kiosks was better than a telephone pole been managed by AT&T because sidewalk labs, sidewalk labs was started in New York. And Toronto says, maybe there's something we can do for it. The funny thing is the deal was a private deals with the city been financed by advertisings and data. So when they came into Toronto, it was a cool idea on paper, but it says and says, hey, I'm paying my tax uh, for my city. Why uh, the private sectors, real estate promoters can only benefit out of this? And from a communication perspective, total mess, you know? Because actually people realize that data is keen is how do we use data to be more efficient? And this data become the holy grail. So we are now in 2021. We will be 2022, 2023, Data will still be the, the case. In Montreal, they're more aligned about what's going on in smart cities in Europe because it's more citizen-focused. North America, data is for the private sectors. So in New York, it made sense because New York was saying, we're looking for new revenues, but let's go in into advertising, geolocalizations, and provide the fiber optic that goes with it, which just has a free Wi-Fi access. It was making sense. In Toronto, it was a citizen story with real estate promoters. And it took like three years that saying that it won't happen. But I think the process was very interesting. But actually today, who should finance smart cities? I think this is the proper angle. Who should put the money down? Who gets the most out of this from a engagement perspective, that's the holy grail and that's the, the fundamental questions. And there is this difference between a more top-down perspective to a more decentralized way of organizing these smart cities. And I think if it's just coming from big tech, uh, big companies and governments, you're going to get a lot of pushback, I think. You are totally right because it, it's like solutions looking for problems, okay? Because technologies that are basically defining something, we're figured out after who will be our client, you know? Ericsson, Cisco, all the operators, Siena, the technology, Microsoft, everyone has a component into a smart cities. And today, we apply those smart cities with also cyber resilience, cyber security. And now the topic of cyber resilience in terms of energy has become the big, big, big topic because the cost of energy is getting very high. In the country, also in Canada, I'm very involved into digital identity because I am a collaborator with DIAC. When we bring those discussions about digital identity in DIAC, meaning that when we have a proper deployment, digital identity is a way to maximize the digital certification of the individuals. And at least, which is very interesting, what is the role of the federal versus the provincial versus municipalities? Because at the end, COVID totally crystallized a lot of stuff is because people receive some money because they have some financial issues is why Revenu Canada was able to give money for my kids because they were supposed to be at, at school, but actually they have a profile inside Revenu Canada with the federal. And some people were lacking some health services. They need to have an identity somewhere. Digital was the tools to enable the delivery of the mechanisms. 
And the financial services are going also very forefront at digital ID. And now today, smart buildings, smart municipalities become the other playground to connect things, you know, to be more efficient. Right now, we're going through lockdowns and there seems to be a real move away from cities. So many people are trying to get out of places like Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver. Is there some kind of unstoppable move away from big cities, do you think? No, I think it's a temporary thing because, first of all, we're human beings and we love to interact. We love, we love, we like, we like to be in tribes, as I say, because we like, we love to be into a dialogue interactions. Uh, the hospitality industry, the tourism industry, uh, the food industry, the restaurant industry, we love to connect, to interact. So first, we are human beings. We love to be into an interactions. I think what's, what totally changed with COVID is our relationship with the workspace. Do I take the car? I am in Montreal. I'm maybe lucky than Toronto. Do I need to spend an hour and a half to go to work in the morning stuck in the, in the 401? And we're going back to home after stuck in traffic for an hour and a half. I think we will live into an hybrid environment because we are human beings. We like to interact. But I think what totally changes our relationship with works productions. I think we're very lucky because we are into the communication business or media business. We can work from whatever on the planet to be connected because now, think of it, two years ago, we we have no idea what Zoom was all about, you know? Maybe WebEx from Cisco or something, we saw people doing some live captures on, on YouTube. But today, attending a meeting with, with a Zoom become a standard. Prior to this, we would take a car. We need to go there to meet and everything. But it's totally changed how to be more productive back to efficiencies. And I think city will always exist because we love to be in interaction with human beings and discover something else. But I think it's going to be a new downtown experience. Everything is changing. And what I found very amazing when I'm thinking about smart cities and everything is we don't usually ask the anthropologists or the philosophers or the sociologues what are the big meaning that people need to see into a tribe experience, you know? It's always economy, real estate, and technology. Technology is a commodity, man. So we need to evaluate how those tools could be cooler to even promote social inclusions, you know? The elderly, how do we manage the elderly to be more connected and be being connected as neighbors? I think this is fundamentally a new trust framework to collaborate and to support each other. And technology become tools, that's it. Well, that really plays into the orbit development in Innisfil. And as they try and rethink what this small town could be doing to attract more people from the GTA with a a modern connected development, um, what do you think of this plan? I think from a municipal perspective, Innisfil is doing exactly the the proper steps to basically engage and be supported as many experts as possible. And this is a way to go in to represent what will be the end goal of the citizens. The good news is also, according to what they want to accomplish, there's only one real estate promoter, so it's going to be easy to negotiate with them. And the funny thing is, I'm always using the Truman Show as one of my best examples. You can redo a Truman Show, but we are in 2021. Even though that Jim Scarry was part of a big show, been managed by big brothers and everything, blah, 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 people are smarter than we think. They can spend more money than we think. So don't cut the corners bring the best value with perspective, you know, energy residency, uh, electric cars, 
being near of the water, uh, local food providers, smart gardening, those things exist. It brings people in, you know, as a storytelling. So, so far, I think NSVIN is doing the proper process, but more and more engagement will be required. But at the end of the day, it's always a financial situations. Who would put the money down to finance this to make more sense of a living space and living collaboration between neighbors back to the trust framework, you know? There have been other attempts to make big smart city projects in places like China or in Saudi Arabia where concerns about stakeholders or citizens are secondary at best. These are authoritarian governments and they can kind of just impose their will. And that's just not possible in North America or in Europe. I think their biggest hurdle that they will face is the land is owned by someone else. The property itself is owned by someone else who basically put money down somewhere, somehow, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So this company, this organizations have some rights. So do they increase the value of the land and they want to sell? In this village should buy it and basically make their own destinations. Or they want to do a new deal with the end owner. And I think this is more a financial issues than a citizen issue because actually it's more, what is the value today? What could be the value in 30 years, you know? So we need to be smart because first, living environment are requiring, people love to have a house and have some some services. And at the end is who will be able to finance this? Maybe the landowner will be a department of the city, they will say no problem. You make a great point there about how you have to create the framework that will ensure that the citizens believe that you've got their best interests at heart before you start to implement these plans. Because if you don't do that, it seems to me, if you don't make provisions for things like privacy, you're going to get a ton of pushback and it's just not going to work. I think what you are bringing is fundamental also because San Francisco decided to ban any technology that will enhance facial recognitions because they saw from a privacy perspective that facial recognitions was basically the holy grail versus what China has been doing. That's also a big, strong message back to the trust framework and also how to be more resilient, you know? It's it's, it's very interesting to bring this to to the subject because it's always a big concern and people are afraid of the Big Brother initiative, but technology can do so much stuff, but also could be very disastrous into other way. But the question is, do we know everything what is possible from the beginning prior to invest. So what I'm saying to all the stakeholders is, make sure that all the scenarios has been developed, make sure that you bring the best expertise prior to anything and ask the expert first. Sadly, technology has always been called too late because technology change, but it needs to be part of those discussions in the beginning. Call in Microsoft, call in Eric Erickson, call in Cisco, calling the big guys to give them a pitch over what, what what is the top standard that we need to consider over the next 30 to 50 years, you know? That makes sense and learn from it, you know? In future episodes, we're going to go even deeper inside the smart city to explore how such a place would actually function from electricity and water to work, education and transportation. 
Innisfil Accelerates is a podcast sponsored by the town of Innisfil. To learn more about how they're working to create the neighborhood of the future, go to innisfilaccelerates.ca. Yeah.